Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, episode 63, and you're going, Ryan, why am I hearing your voice and not Josh Shelton's? Well, folks, if you listened last week, Josh Shelton accused me of being on vacation and not on the show, but guess what? Guess what? I'm here this week, and guess where Josh Shelton is not? He's not on the show, people. What are we going to do with this guy? I don't know, but we called in a replacement filling Josh Shelton's seat and probably going to do better than Josh would anyways. Brian, the I like to call you Brian the Woolman, but, but Brian Mon. How's it going, Brian? Good. How you doing, Ryan? Good, Ryan and good. Brian. Good, good. Yeah, good. Well, hey, Brian, Ryan, we'll get it backwards 500 times. Brian, why don't you kind of give a quick background uh, introduction? I met you through the Viper Network, um, which is a super secret group. You're probably going to come here and talking about it because it's you know it's like Fight Club. But uh, outside of that, <laughs> now why don't you tell people who you are and uh, what you do? All right. So let's see. Uh, I'm in uh, oil and gas, so I've been on both the uh, land management side with the ENPs. Uh, the exploration production companies, as well as on uh, dealing with land software on the technology side. So I've been on both sides of the industry, uh, as well as uh, I started early in my career over in the uh, Appalachia Basin, so over in Ohio, PA, and West Virginia and such. And now uh, I'm here over in Houston, so I've had a lot of experience uh, dealing with things over here as well. Uh, Working with Apache just until recently, and, uh, and as you know, Patchy had uh, the Alpine High uh, play in the Permian, so got real knowledgeable about the, the Permian as well. But So I've, I've worked uh, at the very beginning in Appalachia with a couple of oil companies, went to P2 Energy for uh, upstream software, and then uh, recently was with Apache. So right now, uh, I'm no longer with Apache, but I'm reading a really great book on how to uh, you know, get my career in the right direction. Uh, you know, there's this book called uh, Careers in the Oil and Gas Industry, a guidebook of practical advice. You, have you ever heard of it, Ryan? You know, I have heard of it. I have heard of it. It's an exclusive <laughs> copy you've got. Only a few of those are out. Yeah, I'm, I'm reviewing it, and that way I can find something good really fast. So it's probably more so to the beginners. Uh, but I'm sure I'm going to find something in there useful for me as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for plugging the book. It is it is a book that uh, myself and Alfonso Colombano are coming out with, and we're recording this um, and so today, the 11th. And so the book should be out by the end of the week. And it is for, you know, we try to put it in a couple categories, uh, Brian. One was people who aren't in the business who want to get in. Or, you know, I come across a lot of people who are in the business and they just don't know anything about the other streams. So they might be in upstream, but they don't know anything about midstream or anything about downstream. So kind of give them a little bit of a basis if they wanted to, to cross over and do something different. It kind of gives them a little bit of a foothold to go from there. And um, and so far, the reviews we've gotten have been pretty good. So we're, we're really excited about that. And hopefully that will be out, as I said, this week. We've got endorsements from uh, David Blackman, Ellen Wald, Mark LaCour, and uh, the former CEO of the Department of Energy of South Africa, Muzi Sanji. So we're really excited about that. And and uh, it's, it's gone good so far. So, anyways, um, speaking of Mark McCor, uh, we have on, in just a little bit, uh, Energy Funders. Uh, Casey Minshew will be coming on from energyfunders.com. And if you're not familiar with them, they do a lot of great work. And I think one of the things we might get into them with is about Jake Jacob Corley, co-host of Oil & Gas This Week. Um, he has something coming up, and so we're going to probably talk, about, talk to them about that. It's very exciting. But... 
um, we need to thank our sponsor, which is Drilling Info. And you can get a free $100 credit by going to globalenergymedia.com slash courthouse. That's globalenergymedia.com slash courthouse and get you a free $100 credit. Uh, if you're in land, survey, right away, any of that kind of stuff, you need records. Energy um, Drilling Info has you covered. Globalenergymedia.com slash courthouse. Josh normally does the iTunes reviews. Of course, he's in Tahiti or the Bahamas or Cabo or who knows. Maybe he's at the Singapore. Maybe he's in Singapore with Trump and Oon. And I have no idea. He's just not here. So, Brian, we're going to proceed without him. And uh, our first story comes from Sergio Chapa, who has been MIA from this podcast for so long, it's almost like he's mad at us about something. Sergio, we love you. Come back on, buddy. Come back on. You're always welcome here. Two stories from Sergio. Brian, I think you did this to kind of bait Sergio to come back on. But, Sergio, we're giving you all the public can. Um, Sergio's first story, oil and gas industry fund group expanding to Rio Grande Valley um, from Sergio Chapa. This is, of course, talking about STEER, the South Texas Economic and Energy Roundtable. Um, what's going on with this, Brian? Yeah, so I kind of did that strategically. I'm trying to steer Sergio back to uh, your <laughs> podcast. So <laughs> this article actually ties in with some of the stuff that um, was discussed on your podcast and other ones in the past. And about the big thing in the Permian, okay, you got lots of wells, or lots of companies that are drilling wells, but you also have pipelines that are going through by different organizations. And then you also have the people that live there, that travel through there, that, that work, do other jobs there. So this article uh, that came out recently from him is talking about how uh, the San Antonio-based um, Steers expanding into this Rio Grand Valley area. And so Steer, they, they serve as a liaison between the oil and gas industry and things like the school districts and the counties and communities. And so the valley for them was just really a natural progression because they, they see that these operators are coming through and doing things. So they wanted to strengthen the relationship between the oil and gas operators who are involved in Steer um, and with that community where these people are coming from. So, you know, you also got Mexico right down south there. So these residents are all ones that, you know, work in the oil fields. So they felt it very important to expand into this area, although there really isn't a lot of drilling going on over there. So, and I, and I think that's very wise for them because it's really a lot about this industry, and we'll probably cover this later on, is about education. And, uh, you know, just talking to the community, um, understanding that their concerns and, um, and trying to be as safe as possible with the environment, with, with the work that we do to have the best outcome for all of us. So uh, that's kind of why I brought this up is I think it was a really good thing that they're doing is expanding into an area which we don't necessarily drill in, but people live and work there. Yeah, and it kind, of, it kind of, as you mentioned, it kind of ties into a story we have from Rigzone about energy does a terrible, terrible job of telling a story. Um, and so I, I think the thing here with Steer is, um, first off, on this show we talked a lot about you know the industry, oil and gas industry specifically. You know, we need to own when we do wrong, and then when we do right, we need to own that too. We just need to be honest and transparent. And it's, it's very hard because oil and gas professionals were always it feels like. Um, we're always against it. You know, there's always some group somewhere attacking us for certain things. And so you're always trying to, to defend yourself. And as you, as you mentioned there, just a second ago, a little bit of preventive measure going out and said, Hey, 
you know, we might come to your area soon. And if we do, these are the types of things that we know are going to happen. And, and there, we can be honest about that because we understand that if we're going to come to, um, you know, a, a county down there in the valley um, and we bring a lot of heavy trucks, that the roads might become an issue. We've talked about that on the show extensively. Um, water might become an issue. Getting out there and talking with local officials on the ground, trying to figure out what the realities are of the roads, you know, how, how they're being funded, how are they maintained, the water situation, and, and starting to talk to the locals and getting, getting them comfortable with the idea that oil and gas is coming is very important. And the second thing is, I think while you're doing that, so there, there's these negative effects that happen just by reality of oil and gas being an area. Talk about the positives. You know, hotels. I mean, if you go to Pecos, Texas now, there's hotels where just a few years ago there was nothing in Pecos practically. Um, and so there's an economic uh, benefit that's going to come to your area. So I, I do think it's important for oil and gas, the industry itself, to get out there and try to be um, – I don't want to say progressive, but kind of out there thinking forward as they possibly can because of the fact that when when you get there, the bad press is going to come no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're always going to have some people that don't like it no matter what, no matter what they do or using that's oil and gas related. Um, and, and that's just something that you deal with. But the majority of the people really, um, you know, especially in these times, they're just hopping on one thing that's very exciting to another or only hearing little bits of the truth, and it may not even always be the truth, but they hear this information and they run with it. So it really is important for the energy companies to really just be honest with the people and be authentic with them, and, and that's really the best thing for the, uh, the industry as a whole. Now it's much easier said than done um, with all the... Uh, a short attention span when you have all this media that's out there, especially the social media. So, but it's really just something each of us, uh, I mean, including when we're talking, uh, you know, with energy funders that, you know, what's their job to educate uh, people about investing in oil and gas. And so each company, each person is out there to do that is really to educate um, the community about what we're doing and how it's really beneficial you know, it's you can't just jump right to alternative fuels and resources. Um, we can bridge the gap between the generations, between uh, the fuels and resources. We can't just go there right away. And people really need to understand that. And, and I think they really do want to learn about this. So, yeah, I think it's a, a really good thing that uh, you get community organizations such as STEER. Actually, you know, it's an industry um, a lot of the companies are involved in it, but they're doing it to educate the community. And you also touched on about um, another story article we had about uh, energy doing a terrible job of telling the story. And that's the same thing there. Is this article was about Soledad O'Brien, and she was um, talking to a KPMG Global Energy Conference uh, just recently. And she was just saying that there's a complete lack of understanding and a lot of polarization out there. And again, it's fueled by social media and people going with over dramatic stuff. Um, but really, the energy industry is just really trying to share their information. Uh, and we need to be consistent about that um, and be authentic about that. And that's what she's really stressing about that is somehow energy companies need to figure out how to answer these questions transparently and honesty, honestly, honestly. And if we're looking at some thoughtful conversations about it, and, and I think that's, you know, it goes all the way around 
to you doing the podcast, you're doing the same exact thing, is teaching people about the industry. And, and I've done that. You mentioned Viper earlier. It was a dinner that I had um, with some influencers in the energy industry. It stands for Very Influential People in Energy Roundtable. And we discuss, you know, just like your book does, upstream, downstream, midstream, um, and all corners of the industry, all corners of the world. I mean, matter of fact, one guy came to one dinner and he talked about South Africa. So something I didn't know before. <laughs> well, a couple things there before we move on. Um, first off, I think that you're right. Social media does sensationalize it. But this is a sensational topic, and here's what I mean. If we're going to have a discussion about the role of oil and gas and, and you know how it works long term, that's a fine discussion to have to have. But we have to start with the realization that if we eliminate oil and gas production today um, around the world, that basically life as we understand it ends. And that's yeah. that's not overly dramatic. That's just reality. I mean, there's just there's so many products that are made from oil and gas. Everything that we get from the earth is used by diesel. And so um, you start actually in, look at the impact of oil and gas. It's, it's so pervasive in our society. And, and to me, if we want to talk about the climate change or we talk about moving to renewables, that's fine. Those are all discussions that we, ha- we can have. Um, but but there is a sensational headline, and that is, without oil and gas, I'm sitting here just south of Fort Worth, Texas. It's 100 degrees. I wouldn't be sitting here if we didn't have oil and gas. I'd be you know further up north. And so um, I think that oil and gas needs to make sure that people are aware of its importance, um, as that's where the conversation has to start. Because it feels like sometimes oil and gas is playing off of the defensive, going, well, you're bad here, you're bad here, you're bad here. And, they, and those might be legitimate claims, but the alternative, just so everyone's on the same page, is... Basically, you can't live in a lot of parts of the United States because it would just be, at least I couldn't. You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a heavier set guy. I like it cold. <laughs> I like my house at 70, 68 at night. Um, you know, I could live in San Diego. That's about the only place in the U.S. I could live year-round. So, but anyways, it's, a diff- it's an interesting discussion and one that energy professionals need to engage in. And there's a lot of room. One of the things I learned from another podcast I did was most energy professionals were really concerned about getting energy to people. And that's an important thing that we have to, we have to talk about as well. Okay, let's turn now to, again, Sergio Chapa, somehow again, he's making it all over this podcast. <laughs> Howard Energy's, I guess it's Waja Ray route uh, to move natural gas from Permian Basin to Monterey, Mexico. This is an important article. It just came out just a few hours ago. We've talked about this. Uh, it feels like a lot on this show, but it, it has to be talked about here because there's there's a lot of concern about how natural gas will get out of the Permian. And this is a concern, I'm sure, when you were at Apache that was discussed and talking to other energy professionals, getting natural gas out of the Permian Basin has been a fear, but this pipeline will alleviate some of this, being that it's 190 miles in nature. Right. Yeah, exactly. And Howard's done, a, actually, I think, a really good job on, on trying to get some of this... Uh, gas, mostly gas stuff, out of that area. Um, because what happens when you don't, when you have all the supply and you can't get out of something, what happens? It depresses the prices. So mm-hmm. you're looking at uh, West Texas Intermediate versus um, the Brent crude that's mm-hmm. over in North Sea, and it's a $10 difference. Why is that? Well, we got all this stuff out here. We can't get it out fast enough. We don't have all the infrastructure. And that was the thing with uh, Apache, and it's been for a while that, and, and they've been uh, talking to their investors about that. Is they've got to spend some money to make some money. You got to mm-hmm. put the infrastructure in there, um, and that's what you see. A couple of deals that are going with them and Noble and some others uh, that are working to get that out. Yes, and then you got uh, all that pipeline. You got a lot of area cover. So again, Apache is trying to be very thoughtful 
uh, and four when they're going through some stuff because it's a very sensitive area. You got some, um, you know, clean water springs that are down there, and you got some nature, of course, and all that. And so I, I think they're all working diligently to do it the best they can. Unfortunately, there's some incidents like on the on the East Coast where they've just really didn't do a very good job. I don't think there's been uh, quite a few issues. Uh, that they've had where they weren't doing things really the right way. And so they've had to put a halt to some of their pipelines over there, their, uh, their construction. And even where I live in Ohio, there's a big issue right now because there's a pipeline coming through there. Now it's, it's passed. They've used them in a domain or something to make it go through. So now what's the community doing? They're not fighting with the energy industry. They are talking with the community, notifying them, working with the pipeline companies to make sure it is done the best they can because you know in the end they realize it, it's got to get out as well they didn't exactly want it going through their neighborhood but it ended up to be the best option and so they've now turned around and they're working with the energy industry so i'm actually kind of a little proud of that community green uh, township that are working with uh, these energy companies to transport uh, the gas through there. So it's, uh, yeah, Howard's done a good job and I think they're all trying to do a much better job because it is a lot easier, um, when you're doing that, when trying to trying to explain why something went bad or the fear that something went bad, you don't want that. Right. And, you know, one of the other issues is we've seen, it's not just Apache, but, um, other companies like Pioneer and, um, Oh, I can't think of another one. Darko maybe have all kind of expressed concern about building pipelines because of the discount price on natural gas. And, you know, we all can joke about the price of oil and gas can go up or down, but the price of natural gas doesn't appear to be able to go up anytime soon. So it's, it's kind of a reluctant deal that these pipelines get built, it seems like. So it's good to see this is done, though. This will alleviate some permian pressure that we've seen. Um, I know we're getting close to up against the clock with energy funders coming on. So let's get to our last story of the day, which comes to us from oil and gas lawdigest.com and Texas Supreme Court splits over meaning of offset well in shell plays. Now, Brian, I know that's something that you have kind of a background in working on deals like this. What's the case and what was the ruling and what did you think about the ruling? Yeah, so I won't get too land on you <laughs> <laughs> going through uh, the legalities of this. But yeah, so this was written by a couple of attorneys out of McGinnis Lockridge that uh, actually work on this, this oil and gas site. Uh, they do case law updates and litigations for the industry and kind of put it in common layman's terms for somebody like me. So that's what I really love about something like this article. So they go into explaining about a clause called the offset clause. And in this case, it was a Texas Supreme Court. They issued a narrow 5-4 opinion in favor of the exploration company and against the landowner. Now, why this turns into this big issue is that this was in a 2009 lease. Now, that date versus, say, a 1960s lease or something like that. So that majority, the 5-4, so there's five people, they held that this phrase, meaning offset well, so it's a term that refers to a well that protects um, your land against drainage from a well drilled at, your, say, your neighbor's house or their land. So if they drilled a well before you could, then the company that has your lease should be drilling and try to get um, 
the most out of your lease because your neighbors are getting paid, you're not, you know, in a, in a simple scenario. So this clause is saying that if they start drilling, then you don't want it all drained from your property because it can be connected. So you must drill as well. So it doesn't get uh, drained. But in this case, it turns out that we're now dealing with horizontal wells. So vertical wells are just going straight down and it's kind of like a straw. You're sipping out of the cup. Whereas when you're using uh, horizontal, you're kind of going across the different layers. Um, and, and, you know, it's like an eight-layer cake and you're just going through one layer and you're sucking all the gas out of there. So it's a little bit different, um, the reservoir underneath that, between horizontal and vertical. So vertical is very common. Horizontal now in, you know, 2009 when this lease was taken out was um, pretty prevalent by then. So the court is saying, well, you know, in this case, offset didn't mean we're trying to reduce the drainage, which typically happens with vertical wells. But in this case, they think that the interpretation due to the circumstances, whereas that just a well had to be drilled uh, on the acreage into the same depth or formation as the other well. And that's exactly what the producer, which was Murphy, did. They drilled a well. It was at the same formation as the neighboring property. But the landowners felt, hey, that's not preventing drainage at all. You just drill to the same depth. You know, you just popped a hole anywhere on my property. You're not actually helping to reduce the drainage. So normally to everybody else in the industry, we would look at that kind of suspiciously. We would kind of be with the minority in that situation and go, hey, you know, I've known this clause forever. And for the past 20 years, I've dealt with it. It meant to prevent drainage, not necessarily just pop a hole anywhere to the same formation. But... The court now is saying, well, let's look at the presumed intent. All the parties who signed back then supposedly were aware about tight shale formation drilling and knew the circumstances. So with that knowledge, they should have known what that offset meant. Now, all that said, uh, that's where you get into the the whole legal gray area, and that's why they're attorneys. Because what 90% of the people might have thought before, now because we're drilling differently, horizontal versus vertical, and it's, you know, 2009, not 1960s or something. We got to look at how was that interpreted at the time that was signed. And so it's no longer straightforward. It's not a simple yes or no. Or, you know, this is what offset wells means. You know, if we look at a glossary, it's not that anymore. And that makes it really difficult if you're either a landowner signing or even for the exploration companies uh, that are taking out leases, you know. What, what's the circumstance going to be on this one? Is it the offset well that we defined earlier, or is it an offset well as what the Supreme Court of Texas just decided? So I think this really complicates things. And in this case, it helped the exploration company. But for oil and gas industry as a whole and the people that have to maintain these leases and make sure that we're doing things right, you know, and we talked about that earlier, is we want to make sure we're doing things right. And when you have this gray area where it's now based on someone's interpretation, it's really hard to be right. So uh, I find it kind of scary, <laughs> but yeah. um, we'll see what happens from there. You know, on the uh, Energy Week podcast with Ellen Wald and myself, you know, we've talked about this idea from a geopolitical standpoint that the energy industry is really kind of trapped right now because I think 
globally, what you could see is a lot of potential for a lot of cool things to happen. But government's really got a, got its hand in things, and you know we can always debate on what role government should have. But a lot of the laws that we see, and sometimes we see laws like this when they're being challenged, they were kind of written under different circumstances. And so you get to these spots today, and you're like, okay, well, we we, we want to challenge it. We we did, you know, Party A did it under this pretense. Party B is challenging under. The modern pretense, just to kind of use that, that dichotomy there. Um, and it raises a lot of interesting questions because the odds are this isn't the only example of this of what's going on out there. And, right. and so it's going to be something that you're going to see, and you're going to see a lot more, I think, as we move forward here in the Permian, here in the Eagleford, you know, old laws that are coming up on the books, people using that to challenge current um, standards, current way things, practices, things are done. And it's going to be interesting to watch just kind of how that all filters out because I'm, I'm always kind of torn on deals like these because – um, there's part of me that understands, you know, let's, let's just take out my political view about how the law should work. But let me just, just from a business standpoint, the law is written and I understand that it was written in the sixties, but I can capitalize on it today because no one's changed it. Okay. I can understand that side of it. Um, I'm following the rules. I'm not hurting anyone, not stealing from anyone, not doing anything illegal. I'm just following the law and it kind of puts me in a gray area potentially if someone were to challenge it. The other party, I understand right. their side too going, Hey, well, that's the way it was written, but that's not really how it's practically working. So now we're in this gray area. So again, as long as we're not hurting and harming people and stealing from people, I understand this. And, and it's one of these things where it, it almost, I don't want to say it needs to happen, but it, these things need to happen so that therefore we can kind of have a modern standard put into place. Does that make sense? Yeah, that is true. And, and that's kind of, I think, the majority's point there is, you know, that meant something, you know, way back when for one thing, when it was vertical. We're now dealing with horizontal. Not to say that horizontal can't do that, but according to the court and what they think the situation was at the time, um, they believe that's what it was, and so they're bringing it kind of up to date. So, and it's we've had uh, cases like this back in uh, Appalachia when it came to gas storage. We had a lot of gas storage there, and you're talking about really old leases back in the early 1900s that were still active today simply because. Somebody interpreted one clause saying, oh, yeah, we can hold it indefinitely as long as gas is being stored there. Well, it's a gas storage field. It always will. And these people weren't getting paid very much. Well, they've talked it out, and they've come to an agreement, and I think they've redone a lot of leases. But according to one court's interpretation, they could have held those leases forever and paid these people like five cents or something. So I I do think it needs to be updated for these times. Yeah. And that's always a a tightrope when you walk into this. But again, conversations about it will help. You know, I'm probably on the opposite political spectrum than a lot of the oil and gas people. But, you know, it really doesn't matter. I, I love the industry, and, and I think you really got to have both sides of the aisle working together. And that's the only time you're really going to have a good conversation towards them. Of course, you can disagree, but as long as you're talking, we're, we're going to work things out. So, totally agree. Okay, up next we have on Casey Minshew, the CEO and co-founder of Energy Funders. And if you're not familiar with Energy Funders, you're kind of out of the loop right now. I mean, they are all over the place. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for your time today. How's it going? Man, it is going great, and I appreciate you guys um, for having me on this podcast. I know you got a lot of great listeners, and y'all are doing a lot of great stuff for Texas and the oil business and all the good stuff. So thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I'll kind of lead off with this and let Brian hop in after this. But um, 
So first off, you know, obviously we talk a lot of Texas, you know, New Mexico, Mexico as well, um, just because of the nature of what's going on in the Permian and Eagleford Basins. But what are you hearing out there? I mean, there's a lot of excitement that we're hearing from producers, from midstream companies. You even see talk of refineries getting built, and you guys are in the business of raising money. Um, I'm assuming business is good right now. You know, business is great. We, we built the company in the downturn, and uh, we knew that when the market started to recover, that there would be obviously demand, and uh, and that's what's happening right now. And I'll tell you what we're hearing in the in the areas is from the conventional oil and gas side from these. Uh, the, what, and what I mean by conventional is the you know vertical wells, um, typically one well uh, with the potential for two to three more wells. You know this market is a, a great market that right now is underfunded and a lot of demand. And then the other side of the business that we're hearing a tremendous amount from is really like digital oil field technologies and, and less than drilling, more about companies that are really bringing technology to the oil field. And it seems like this space is like the hot conversation around town. Well, and I love that part about that, uh, Casey. Um, and, and talking about the technology, so back in February, Energy Funders announced plans for an upcoming blockchain technology platform. Um, can you discuss a little bit more about that and um, how you're utilizing that with your funding process? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, everybody in the financial technology world and, you know, everybody goes, well, what is financial technologies? And I always kind of give them an idea that there's really kind of four areas of financial technology. And, and, and really one of them is when, you know, if you notice now when you go and you swipe your bank card and you can sign it right there online and, and Stripe sends you a, a receipt, no matter what vendor you go to, uh, that's a financial technology. It's, it's, it's innovating the way people make investments. Well, equity crowdfunding um, has been deemed in that financial technology world. And, and, and really the strategy in that is to be able to provide fractionalized investments into assets that are traditionally um, hard to get into for, for just the average person. And so when you start dealing in what we call microtransactions, uh, the ability to, one, have it safe um, and safe and reliable, but two, also being able to monitor and track and audit all of these transactions. When people start talking about what truly blockchain was developed for, um, that's it. You know, that was one of the big conversations around blockchain. And so when we put out our, 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 our application 2.0, uh, we wanted to make sure that everything would be recorded on a private blockchain. Um, and we're going to continue to develop from that in order to, one, eventually the, the concept would be is to allow people to, to exchange, to be able to get out of a product that's illiquid. You know, I invest in an oil well. How do I get paid back? Well, you get paid back through the tax benefits and the cash flow that pays off. Well, what if I need cash now? Well, right now, it doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to go out and sell your interest online or you're going to have to go do that. But if there was a very easy way to exchange that, and have a smart contract, uh, that would be that would be amazing. Well, that's some of the things that we're working on in the future of developing is to really provide that for those people. And blockchain is the cutting edge technology that allows for that to be secure um, and to be able to allow for you know auditable records, which is critical for all the transactions we do. 
Okay, so I guess my question would be is, if you look at this, you know, how do you guys go through this process um, of determining, you know, what the market is actually looking for? Uh, is it a deal where the companies are coming to you and they have, you know, a certain amount of lead time? Or is it a deal where you guys are hearing from maybe operators and producers and you say, yeah, this is something that they want? How do you guys look at these deals and say, you know what, this is something we think that the market will actually want? That is a great question. Um, everybody wants to make sure that what they're investing with online has had some kind of layer of due diligence. And there's really two sides to our platform. And all of it, it requires vetting and due diligence. One of the sides is we, we call Energy Funders Black, and, and that allows an accredited investor, and they got to be accredited based on U.S. standards, to buy into an oil well. Those projects are typically, um, we vet the operator, we look for track record, and we really want to make sure that each project is reviewed with seismic and has logs and data. We do an extensive amount of, of, of analysis for ourselves before we ever put that public to those investors. And so that's really the direct oil and gas drilling opportunity. Investments as little as $5,000. Our whole idea is diversification, spreading your risk over more assets. On the other side of our platform, um, new laws and regulations have been enacted through regulation crowdfunding to allow companies um, to be able to raise money through accredited and non-accredited, meaning anybody as of 18 years of age that has uh, that makes money can now invest in these type of company assets. And that regulation crowdfunding it can be utilized for all types of companies. They could be either early stage, meaning they, they haven't really started to make revenue yet, they could be at a seed stage where they're at an idea stage, or they can be where they're making money um, and they need money for growth. All of these type companies can list through regulation crowdfunding and, and any and all investors can participate. Now, the, that is a, uh, it, is a, um, it is a securities uh, and, it, and it is overseen by FINRA and our company is a registered funding portal. So we are registered, we report, we are licensed in that sense to be able to make sure that we're doing all of these things correctly by law. And all of these projects go through third-party due diligence, meaning they're verifying if they're the, the background checks, they're verifying good actors, they're verifying if the company structure is valid. And uh, all of this stuff takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy. And so an investor or a person that wanted to sign up and look at different types of projects could be digital oil field technologies, could be an oil field service company. Heck, and if, and if I qualify, I can invest in an oil well. Um, all of those things can be found on the platform. And when, and when somebody knows and they look at these assets, what, you know, no one can guarantee the success, right? That, that's, that's not allowed. And, and obviously, these projects have high risk. Um, however, what we do know is that through the vetting process of the operators or of the companies, we know that these are good actors. These are people that have good backgrounds, good track records, and, and, and they're willing to come out and disclose that online to the investor group. So from uh, an actual of what is the market bear, you know, we just, we, we, we run a process and our investors get a chance to tell us if they like it or not. Meaning, by their dollars, by what they're willing to invest, tells you if it's a project that, that they're interested in. And that's one of the beautiful things about this online investment world is, you know, it, because it's the projects being syndicated and there's multiple investors, people get a chance to make their own vote if they like it or not, right? They get to say, hey, I don't want to invest. And, and there's no requirement because you're doing it on your own accord. 
And so when you start thinking about what's the market dictates, um, yeah, it, it, you, you as a person that signs up as an investor, you get to decide which projects are good, which projects that you feel are not a good project. And that's one of the nice things about, you know, the crowdfunding and the online investment vehicles. So, Casey, this is Brian. Let me ask, um, I went to a recent event where they had a panel discussion on oil and gas technologies, um, like blockchain, and so that's why I asked that question. And while I was there, there was another guy that was there named Jake Corley, who has a company called Wellhub. And so you talked about investing or people investing in oil and gas wells. How are you connected with Wellhub, raising money for that? Yeah, and, and Wellhub is um, we're, is currently on the Energy Funders platform, and it is one of our it is our first regulation crowdfunding offering that we put out. Um, they've done all the right right pieces. They've done all the right check you know online crowdfunding checks, all the things right, and that project is available for investment. And so these are the type of companies. Uh, Jake Corley's an amazing guy. Um, these are the type of companies that are available on the platform. And, um, and, and what we get to do is come together as a community. And we get to build an ecosystem to support the growth of digital technologies. And different than what some people would think in like donative crowdfunding, where someone's on Kickstarter or they're going to give you a, a widget or they're going to give you a hat or a shirt, here you get a piece of ownership. So for something as little as $500 or $1,000 investment into the company, you actually get ownership that, that you're going to get a piece of that company. And when that company succeeds, you get to succeed with it. And that's one of the powers of what we're doing. It's, it's not like, Hey, go fund me. This is like, no, if you like my concept or you like it, you can participate in a private placement. And one of the things that most people don't realize is that up until the jobs act and really up until about 2016, people that were not accredited, but they're considered people that were not falling in this accreditation bucket, which has got a million dollars of net worth and a certain income requirement, have never been able to participate in private placements like this. So it's a pretty powerful thing that has been passed. Uh, it's, got a, it's getting adoption around the, the world, uh, but in the U.S., it's, it's giving people what we'd call more of a sophisticated investor the opportunity to participate in these type assets. And so Jake is one of our, you know, one of our, our not only a client, he's on the platform, and um, we're excited to see what's happening with, uh, with the digital oil field technologies. Yeah, and, and Jake's kind of a special case because he, you know, hosts uh, Oil and Gas This Week with Mark McCord, so you can actually kind of go and just listen to him. And, of course, we love Jake and Mark and all the folks over there, but you can actually go and listen to Jake and kind of hear him. And I'm sure, I don't know how if they talk about this particular thing on the podcast, but it kind of gives you a unique feel with that particular case just to kind of go and, and feel what kind of guy Jake is out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's follow up on a couple more things here. So uh, just kind of retrack here. You, you kind of broke down. You had the accredited investors. And for listeners who aren't familiar, uh, he kind of touched on that quickly, but you can go look that up. There are certain requirements that would prohibit certain people from investing in those projects. Um, and then you have the ones that are open for everyone. And you, you said something that I wasn't aware of, which is you're for the non-accredited investors, um, the regular folks, they can go and invest and they get an equity stake in the – um, and the project, and the service, whatever it is. So I guess my question would be, from that standpoint, if I'm listening and going, oh, wow, I might want to invest in what Jake Corley's doing here, just to use that example, am I going to be liable if something bad happens? Or 
Um, how would I get paid if something good happens? So kind of walk us through that process for someone who goes, you know, I, I might want to invest with energy funders here on Jake Corley or some other project you guys have going on. What are kind of my risk rewards here um, that, that I'm looking at? Great question. Um, that is exactly what you should be asking if you're looking at making an investment, right? It's like, what are my risks? So the nice part is, is that for an investor in any of our projects outside of the oil and gas, direct well, they're the, the only liability risk, um, and that's how all these documents and subscription agreements and all these things are written, is your investment. So if I put up $1,000, the only thing that is risk is my $1,000, okay? Um, that that is the, the, the limit to the risk, and you'll read in all of our documents and the type of structures that it protects from you know bankruptcies and all that good stuff. So that is a, is a really nice feature. And, and most investments do that. They lean toward the, uh, the, uh, that the investor does not going to take on tremendous amount of liability. Now, different in an oil project, because an oil project, when you're buying into working interest, um, you're buying into the liabilities. And so that there's there's different levels of risk in those type of investments. But when you're buying into the company or the idea or the tech, you know, or the tech or the innovation, the, the, the liability is very limited to your investment because you're considered completely a passive investor in that regards. Um, one of the things, though, on the reward side is that when a company, usually the stages of growth for an early stage or a seed company is validation at every at every extra round of investment. So many people think, well, hold on, I make an investment and that's the last investment this company's going to need. Well, that's not the case. Um, so when an investor or a, a company starts to grow on its own and they, they're going to build a technology and they're going to serve up an idea, the early investors come in and they're called seed investors. And those seed investors are taking the risk that can the company, right? Can the company get to making money and get the first beta out? Now, what, what's nice about being a, what, what, about a seed investor is that the, the seed investor always gets carry-along rights, meaning that if I invest today and I put $1,000 in, and two months or three months or six months or a year down the road, a nice bigger company comes around, usually a venture capital firm, says, hey, I want to make an investment into this company. The technology's been validated, and we're going to go ahead and set a, a bigger valuation. And we're going to put in a million dollars. All of those early investors get to carry on. I mean, they get to add to their investment if they want, or they don't have to. But they're involved in that. And so the next evolution, as they continue to, to gravitate more capital from early stage investors and all of these great things, is to continuously increase the value of that company. To get to that company making money, making revenue, and then eventually something to become like a long-term success if, if that's what happens. Where, 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 where an early stage investor benefits is in, in a time where an industry and a market is starting to grow and accelerate. And for those of you that have listened to this podcast, I guarantee you, you know that the market is, is getting to a place now where people are willing to spend some money to make things more efficient. Um, at $70 and $80 oil, we've got to still be very efficient in the industry and we'll continue to be efficient. But these digital technologies and these artificial intelligence and all of these things can help remove and, and lower the OPEX on these projects. And so that investor can participate. And the reason why we're excited about all of the type projects we're bringing to the Energy Funders platform is that we feel we're entering into a market where there's going to be a very strong cycle for the energy industry, not just oil and gas, but from all angles. 
And if that continues that propulsion, these companies, if someone could spend, you know, can make small bets and build a little portfolio that could eventually one or two or three of these companies could grow into something that's very exciting and which we usually see in this industry is once a product is validated and it starts making money and it makes sense, then it gets acquired. And, and that's what most of these companies are looking for is to take advantage of the market, build something that's unique in the right timing and get acquired. And so in that case, if you were a part of that acquisition, then you would get paid out a proportionate share of the growth. And obviously the earlier investor would have the earliest amount of dollars in the, in, into the, the platform. And when it has a liquidation, you would hope that it would have a very big return. Um, and again, like I always said, these things have risk. Um, there's a high level of risk in early stage startup investing, but that's what the investor is looking for. And the nice thing about regulation crowdfunding is that it can let people invest as little as $500 into these offerings so they can have some you know, fun investing. They're not going to lose sleep at night by making a smaller investment. And they don't have to spend the, the months and months of due diligence that these venture capital firms do when they're putting in millions of dollars. Um, they can come in and they can feel comfortable say, hey, I'm going to make 10 investments at $500. I'm going to make 10 investments at $1,000. And that's kind of myself. You know, I invest in these projects myself. I enjoy not only being the CEO of the company, but I invest in oil and gas projects and I invest in these companies. And so I've, I've set myself a budget. I said, listen, I'm going to put over the next two years, I'm going to put 10, I'm going to put $10,000 into 10 early stage or mid growth stage companies that list on our platform. That's my plan. Um, and, and I've set a budget and I'm going to participate in that. So it, it makes it fun, and it doesn't make me feel like, oh, my God, my wife's going to kill me if this doesn't work out. I've put it in a position where I can have fun, I can invest, and I can put myself in a position if these companies have success, I can win. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. We, you've been so gracious with your time. It'll keep you longer. Energyfunders.com is the website. You guys are all over the place. Um, I think you'll have a newsletter that I'm subscribed to that comes out. Um, go there, sign up. If you're accredited or unaccredited, they have opportunities for you. Um, Casey, is there anything else that we need to plug or promote before we get you off here today? No, I just thank you guys so much, and I appreciate all the people out in the industry that are just uh, that that have, that have survived through the downturn, and now we're all going back to work. And so I appreciate you guys for doing this podcast, and uh, yeah, very much, very much appreciative. Well, I'm not going to say the listener's name, but a, a listener who actually works with you guys is who hooked us up, so he knows who he is. Thank you so much for hooking him up, hooking us up with this interview, and hopefully he'll be on um, here in a few months to get him to talk on about what he has going on. And uh, that'll be exciting. So, Casey, thank you again. Hope to have you on again soon to talk more about what you guys have going on. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks again to Casey for coming on. Really appreciate the discussion. Enjoy the time he gave us today. He's a busy, busy, busy man. And so I know um, it was a special effort to get on. So we thank you for that. Uh, be sure to check them out at energyfunders.com. We don't have our normal stuff with the rig count and all that. Josh Shelton, again, is MIA. I don't know. We, we, you know, parts unknown of the world doing who knows what. Um, we won't even we won't doing even what we wish we were doing, Brian. The court. <laughs> okay, I, I didn't want to put it like that, but yeah, you're you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, but he should be back in the saddle next week. Um, but you know, we know how it is. But hey, that reminds me, we did not read the iTunes reviews, but we still are doing our giveaway: fifty dollars Visa gift card. Uh, if you have a written review, written review, you got, we can't see it if it's not written, written review on iTunes, um, you will be entered to win a drawing for a $50 Visa card, which comes out 
uh, at the end of June. And we're going to put in raffle, raffle, cof, raffle, raffle cofter or one of those type of sites that will go in and randomly pick so it's not just me or Josh picking someone that we like. It'll be a random selection and be happy to give out 50 bucks for a written review on iTunes. We've been getting some good ones. Really excited. As Brian was so nice to mention earlier on, the book is coming out soon. Hopefully by the time Josh Shelton flies in on his private jet, we will have the book out um, to pass that to the masses. We're excited about that. And uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram at Text Long Guys Podcast. Brian, folks that are listening, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me all over. Uh, LinkedIn's always a good place. And on Twitter, Oilmon, so O I L M A H N. And you can find me over there. Um, but just, uh, you, I don't think we had any reviews either, but I got an early one that just came in. It's a good old five star. Let me read it to you real quick. It says, Great show today, guys. Probably the best ever. Now that I've completed the minor leagues with Ryan Ray, does this mean I get to move up to the major leagues and co-host a show with Josh the Great? Keep up the great work, Oilmon. So whoever this Oilmon guy is, <laughs> he loved the show, but wants to know if he can move up from the minor leagues to the major leagues now. <laughs> yeah, he he wants to host with Josh, huh? Okay. Yeah, we can we can work that out, Oilmon. We could get you and Josh on the show. I'd be happy to be happy to to get that done. Just had to rub it in. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know your I didn't know your team, Josh. Or we well, I thought everybody was. Today, so, so. <laughs> oh, it's not oh, me. It's Oilmon. Salty. <laughs> it's Oilmon. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, that's just salty right there. A little salt on the wound. Well, you know, you, you know, I, I thought to be honest with you, as I worked this process, I reached out. I said, "Hey, Brian's a nice guy. We'll have him on." And then, of course, your lawyer called me. You won that ten thousand dollar fee to come on, <laughs> or a trip uh, to South Africa with you next Josh. That's. <laughs> That's more money than I'm giving Josh Shelton. That's crazy for one episode. And then you swore to me all these things that never came true. And so, you know, Brian, it's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's great for having I'm, I'm kidding, of course. No, it's been good. Uh, enjoy doing the Viper Group with you and all the stuff that you have going on. You're active on social media, supporting the industry, and we appreciate that here. And uh, love to have you back on again soon. All right. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Okay, for everyone, that is a wrap for this episode. Josh Shelton and I will be back doing our normal show again, hopefully soon this week. I know we have Wayne Christensen from the Texas Railroad Commission coming on uh, and some other guests lined up, and so those will be coming on in the next couple of weeks. And until next time, keep climbing.